So we'll start in Ezra chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And now turning to Haggai chapter 1, that's on page 812 of the Bibles. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, Because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Hi, everyone. If I haven't uh, met you guys before, my name's Rob. I'm on the staff team here at City on a Hill. It's uh, great to dive into Haggai. Uh, we're just um, we're in between series at the moment, so we've just finished a series on the first four chapters of Romans. Um, we've got uh, Haggai 1 this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, We'll be looking at Haggai 2, and then we'll be going on to a, a new series. But first, uh, let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, may you guide and lead us, Lord, as we come to unpack your scriptures and your word. May your word guide and lead us, and that it will transform our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's a, a normal Friday morning, right? It's a normal workday for most people. And there's a guy called Greg McEwen. Now, he was prepping for an important client meeting. Now, this was so important that his boss wanted him to be there so badly that he was willing to pick him, pick him up and drive him to the meeting. Now, Greg is a hardworking employee. He wants to impress his boss. So he agrees, he's willing to go there, to be there. But there's a problem. You see, that morning, Greg isn't at home prepping for the day. He and his wife were at the hospital. Because just a couple of hours beforehand, his wife gave birth uh, to the the first child. Uh, Greg was holding his his baby girl in his arms for the very first time. And they're spending time as a family, this young family, for the first time ever. And then he slips away, leaves his exhausted physically and emotionally, his wife behind, his baby girl in the crib. He slips away as his boss picks him up and takes him to the meeting. What does this say about his priorities here? Now, it doesn't, doesn't matter uh, what he might tell us what's really important to him. He might say family is important, but if we're looking at his actions here, what do they truly tell us? And if we as external observers are looking into his life, what would you say his life purpose is? What do you think is driving his decision-making here? How, do you, how does his decision to walk out of the hospital Uh, to abandon his wife and his baby girl behind, to go to a work meeting, what does that tell us about what his real priorities are? And I think this is a really important question for us to consider, for us as well. Now, we might not be walking out of the hospital to a client meeting, but just think for a moment, how does our life 
actually reflects what's really important. Because like Greg, it's, it's often our actions rather than our words that reveals what our true uh, priorities are in our life. So as we're going to dive into Haggai uh, this morning, we're going to see God asking his people the same questions here. Right? God's people are being challenged on their life's priorities. And they're ultimately being called to live a more intentional life. So now for, for God's people so far in this story, uh, life, life hasn't been easy for them. Uh, they've been uh, conquered. They've had a large proportion of their people uh, exiled into Babylon. Uh, we, and we see in, in Ezra chapter 1, though, there's this, this glimmer of hope. There's this light at the end of the tunnel. And as God's people are allowed uh, to return back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple... Uh, so the Jews uh, uh, return to Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding immediately. And they clear the rubble. They lay down the foundation. There's a huge celebration. Right? There's excitement. There's optimism. And then there's nothing. 18 years of nothing, of no building. And just imagine that a, imagine a five-year-old boy, right, he's returning to Jerusalem, for the, seeing it for the first time, his ancestor's home, and his dad shows him the, the pile of rubble where the temple used to be, he, he helps the adults clear the rubble, he picks up little stones, he remembers the celebrations, and then 18 years later, he's now 23 years old, He's shown his own son the empty slab where the temple used to be. And still no temple. But after 18 years, God uh, isn't content in allowing the temple uh, to remain like this. So God raises up Haggai to proclaim this message that we see here. Proclaiming it to, uh, to the Israelites. So we're going to unpack uh, Haggai's message in chapter 1, and we're going to see the, how the Israelites respond to this, and then we're going to see what does this mean for us today? How is this re- relevant to us in the 21st century? So first, let's, let's have a look at uh, verse 2. Uh, verse 2, where Haggai is speaking to the leaders, and Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say this, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So Haggai is, is starting off by calling them out. He's throwing back that, the same excuse that they've been repeating for the last 18 years. And he continues in verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses? So these, these aren't just any ordinary houses. Uh, the panelling implies a certain level of luxury and comfort. Uh, it's the sort of place that if you walk past, you go, wow, that's a, that's a nice house. Uh, here in New Zealand, uh, 21st century, that might be a place like this. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice house, right? Imagine it to be like uh, two storeys, 
300 square meter floor space. It's got the spa in the back. It's got a guest house next to the pool. It's got your, it's on a quarter acre overlooking the Wellington Harbour. It's a nice house. And what God is doing here is that he's, he's pointing to the empty slab where his house used to be. And he's saying, hey, this is my house. And then he's pointing to the house with the spa, with the pool. And he's going, and this is your house. So how, how is it not time to build my house? They've had 18 years. This, this delay here is exposes um, something of their heart. And what does this tell us about their priorities? What is more important to them here? Because 18 years is a really long time uh, for not doing anything. Now, they can't say that they didn't have the materials. Uh, we see that in, in Ezra chapter 1, King Cyrus gave them plenty of gold and silver. Um, and just looking at their house, uh, that's proof that they, they had the money, uh, they had the materials to build panelled houses. Now, they did face opposition. So as you, as we, as you read through Ezra, uh, you see that the enemies uh, set out to sabotage and discourage their building effort. Uh, and eventually, they convinced the Persian king to order them to stop. So there was this real threat of persecution, a real threat to their lives. But what, is, what God is trying to get at here, though, and is that even in the face of hardship, even when it gets tough, what do they prioritize? When life got tough... They prioritized their own houses, their own comfort. What do you think their purpose was? A comfortable lifestyle. To live a long life, maybe to pass on something to their kids. And what Haggai is, is really trying to narrow in on, and the motives here, is that they're narrowing on the motives. What's the heart behind the decisions that they're making? Because... Ultimately, it's not really about the temple. It's about the motives behind why they're not building the temple. And so we, we can see this in the commands uh, in this passage. So there's three commands here. Uh, let's have a look at the first one um, in verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Then the second command is a repeat of this again in verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. God here is is calling them to a a reset, to reset and reassess uh, their priorities, to reset and reassess uh, their direction in their life. And he wants them to examine themselves, examine what they're doing. How are they spending their time? How are they spending their money? And it's a call here to be intentional with what they're doing. The, then the, the third command, so the, the command to build the temple uh, doesn't come up until verse 8. So in verse 8, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. 
And then in the second half of that verse, we see the reason why. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. It's not, it's ultimately, it's not really about building God a house to live in. Uh, it's, it's about honoring and glorifying him. It's about building something that God can take pleasure in. And God doesn't need a temple. And this is something that uh, Apostle Paul uh, sort of elaborates on a bit more uh, in Acts. So Acts 17, uh, Paul is uh, addressing the Athenians, the Greeks, and he's telling them why his God is different to their God. So he says in uh, Acts 17, verses 24 to 25, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need a physical temple. He doesn't even need the Israelites here. This call here is to reset and realign their priorities. And having God first is how to honor and glorify him. And we see in this passage, there's a big chunk of this passage, we see that when when God isn't a priority, when he isn't placed first, that their work bears little fruit. That they expected to be blessed. They expected God to be with them. Instead, we've seen God's hand is against them. Uh, These curses in these passages, they uh, echo the curses in Deuteronomy. Uh, for those who break uh, God's covenantal agreements. Then, and ultimately what's happening is God is disciplining them so that they will come back to him, so that they would put him first in their lives and ultimately to reset their priorities. So how does Israel... The remnant in Jerusalem, how do they respond? Let's have a look at their response in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Oh, what, a, what an amazing response. And sadly, it's, it's not a common response to God's prophecies in the Old Testament. But what we have here is the, the leaders and the remnant of Jerusalem obey God's message. And um, we can see at the end of uh, verse 14 and 15 that they begin rebuilding God's house by the end of the month. So with this story here, how do we, in the 21st century, how do we reset and reprioritize God. Well, this, this message is, is, is a call to live an intentional life, and we see that with that repeated call to give careful thought to your ways. Uh, Haggai is wanting our priority and purpose in life to honor and glorify God, and, and that it's not really about building a physical place. It's about honoring God. So what is the, the significance of the temple for us today? I, I'm not planning on 
my annual uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, you don't see uh, lines of Christians wanting to go and worship in the temple in Jerusalem. So well, what does it mean for us? When Jesus Christ came into the world as fully God and fully man, we now have, we had God dwelling amongst us, amongst the people. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, but there's more here because when Jesus' physical body left the world, God's presence didn't leave. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul's writing about Jesus and elaborates this uh, in a bit more detail. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 2, 21 to, tw- uh, 21 to 22. In him, so Jesus, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this is, this is really important, that not only is Jesus the new temple, but so are we. So is God's people. So is the universal church of God's people. And that we are now the dwelling place of God. And his spirit is within us. Also, we now have free access to God. That that we no longer need a physical building. We no longer need uh, priests or rituals or, uh, or any more sacrifice. We have this free access to God. So with that in mind, how do we put God first in our life? Well, firstly, what really encouraging in verses 13 and 14, is that God isn't expecting us to do this on our own. Uh, let's, let's have a look and turn to verses 13 and 14. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. It's two, uh, it's just two really encouraging things uh, happening uh, in this passage here. So when, firstly, when we work to serve God, when we're prioritizing him, we're working on prioritizing him in our life, God is with us. And we see that in verse 13, God says, I am with you, that we're not alone, and that he's not expecting us to do this without him. Uh, Secondly, following this repentance, this change of heart, God stirs up the spirit of Israel. Here God rouses the spirit. He's waking them up, filling them with hope and courage and boldness, and energy, and resilience. And ultimately, all of this is that God is on our side, and that he, he's with us every step of the way, and giving us that boldness, and confidence, and energy to endure. 
to put him first. So let's keep that in mind as we look at how we are going to prioritize God in our life and apply this to us. Let's keep that in mind of this, this and really the, the fact that God is with us every step of the way. And I want to come back uh, to my question at the beginning. If someone is to look at your own life, what would they say your priorities are? Do you treat God like a neglected hobby? Uh, like a woodwork project sitting in the garage unfinished? Or a uh, half-finished jersey that you've been knitting that's been shoved in the cupboard? That you that we want to do it, right? We're meaning to do it. We're meaning to come back to it and finish it off eventually. But oh, comes a weekend and it's been a busy, hectic Saturday and Sunday and you just don't have the energy and you just put it off for another week, another month. Six months have gone by. And just like the Israelites, we might have good intentions, but it doesn't actually get done. The fact is, good intentions isn't good enough. Uh, good intentions doesn't get the job done. Good intentions doesn't build God's house. Good intentions doesn't grow God's kingdom. Good intentions doesn't save the lost. Uh, there's a, uh, in the words of a, an old saying, and I'm sure all of you have heard, uh, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. There's no value in simply planning to do something. Um, just because I intend to do the dishes, three days later, uh, it's still a big pile of dishes on, in the kitchen, right? I intended to do it. It doesn't matter uh, if I tend to do it or not. It hasn't been done. So if we are to put God first... What does it look like to actually follow through with our good intentions and start building God's house? What would that look like in our lives when we actually start to put God first in our life? Uh, first, this, this starts with the, the command in Haggai. Uh, we see this twice in chapter 1. We see this again in chapter 2. Give careful thought to your ways. It's a, it's a call to live an examined life. Uh, to live intentionally in all areas of your life. Uh, and I encourage you to uh, take some time this afternoon, this evening. Take some time to ask yourself, how are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? If I was to ask your friends, what would they say? If I was to check your diary what would that show me? What if I went to check your internet browser history? What would that tell us? Would, they, would that show that you are prioritizing, honoring and glorifying God, prioritizing building God's house? Are you looking for opportunities to, to share the hope that you have in Jesus? Are you looking for ways to incorporate your faith into your conversations with your work colleagues, with your friends? Are you, are you actually seeking conversations 
to share the good news of Jesus? How about in regards to church? Do you prioritize meeting with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, Do you prioritize coming to church to glorify and worship God in prayer and in song? Uh, Do you seek to sit under faithful biblical teaching so that you can grow in your love and your knowledge of him? And when it gets tough, I mean, some of these stuff is easy when when it's easy, but when life gets tough, when your workplace becomes more openly hostile uh, to Christianity, when loving God means not participating in certain work events, when sharing your faith to your friend might make you look like an idiot, or worse still, might actually harm the friendship that you have. When getting to church involves a 40, 30 to 40 minute drive on your only day off, or is it just you're trying to survive off four hours sleep because you had a bad night's sleep or your kids kept you up? In those moments of hardship, what do you prioritize? Is it your own comfort? Is it, is it your own reputation? Um, what is the purpose of your life? Is it to be comfortable? Is it to be liked? Is it to be accepted by your friends? And the beautiful thing here in this passage is that as we're trying to figure this out, as we're trying to put God first in our life, is that we're not alone, that God is with us every step of the way, that he is rousing our spirits, waking us up, so that we can live and step in with him. I want to leave you with this question this morning. What is the purpose in your life? Don't be like Greg, who doesn't really know what his priorities are, which leads him to abandoning his wife and child for a meeting. Uh, Live an intentional life with your priorities reflecting your intentional life's purpose. And this is a question that our society is constantly asking of us as well. Uh, I I remember my last year of school, high school, year 12, sitting in the career counsellor's office and being asked that dreaded question, what do you want to do in your life, Rob? I, I don't know. I don't know what I wanted to pursue or what I wanted to achieve. And as a 17-year-old, I had no idea. But do you know what his advice was? It's the same advice in every self-help blog It's in every Tony Robbins talk or every Dr. Phil book ever written. And that's find what gives you fulfillment. Find and pursue what's going to make you happy. Go and find your unique, personal, individualized purpose in life that only you can find. But is this what God has intended for my life? We don't need to find our life's purpose because we have it here as God's people. It's to live an intentional life that gives God the glory and honor and the joy of having 
him as our number one priority. And it's to live for fullful lives where our actions align with our good intentions and where we do shows who we live for. So in the words of Spurgeon, a uh, well-known pastor and preacher, he says, a man's heart has only enough life in it to pursue one object fully. So let, let's make that object be God's honour and glory. And together, as a church, uh, let's pursue that in all areas of our life. With that, let's, let's respond in prayer. Dear Lord, our Father, we come before you, come before you as broken people, Lord, corrupted by sin, with constantly failing, Lord, to put you first in our lives, that we stumble, distracted by the, by the world around us. Lord, may you open our eyes, rouse our spirit, Lord, that you will be the first in our life, that you, Lord, will be who we pursue, the object that we pursue fully. May you show us and guide us as to what that looks like in our lives, of giving you glory and honour in everything we do, Lord. May our actions the way that we spend our time and our money reflects that you are first in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite the uh, band to come up uh, as we respond uh, in song uh, to God's word. So I'm going to be singing uh, Only a Holy God and just a chance to give God the glory and honor uh, for who he is, the perfect holy one. And that God uh, is in control and sovereign of all things. And we see this in Haggai and in Ezra, that even though it looked dire, that God was in control and his intention was to dwell with his people. So let us sing. Mm -hmm.